The final part of our Living into the Kingdom series, I hope you've enjoyed this series as much as I have, been learning so much through this. I entitled today's message, You Bet Your Life, and I want to begin by drawing your attention to the fill in the blank on either your app or on the uh, sheet in front of you, but I have a couple thoughts as I'm going to walk you there. The first begins with this. We all have to ask ourselves at some point the key questions of life. And what I mean by that are things like, why do we exist? What is our purpose? Is there a God? What's he like? And what does he want from us? What really matters? Now, there is a biblical answer to all of those. I, after receiving from the Lord and his revelation through the Bible, I feel like I'm very comfortable with the answers to those questions but maybe not everybody is. So let me, let me recap what the Bible says about that kind of stuff. Here's a simple answer. Everything is about God, and we were created to be connected to him, to have a relationship with him, and to live for him in this world that he might be glorified, and as a result, we would be filled up with purpose and meaning. That's the biblical answer. And how does that happen? By the rescue of Jesus Christ, right? So the Bible says that God loved the world so much that he sent his son into the world so that he would die for our sins and give us the opportunity to have all that stands against us washed away and that we would live in a perpetual state of sonship and daughtership in grace. Now that all sounds super fancy, but what it basically means is God handled the problem in an extraordinary way. Yeah? Now, how do we do that? How do we get all that stuff? Well, very simply, we connect with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Yeah? I mean, isn't that the whole point? We are Christians, so we talk an awful lot about Christ. We enter the kingdom of God through him, and we become who we were designed to be. Sounds awesome, but what does that cost? Well, got a verse for you. And Jesus said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? That sounds pretty expensive. What was the cost? Everything. And you're like, well, let me think about that for a second. Well, hold on. Let me give you the fill in the blank first. The fill in the blank is this. Entering the kingdom of God is the most important thing you will do. Entering the kingdom of God is the most important thing you, you would do. So it doesn't matter the cost. It's the whole point. It's why you're here. The idea of saying, well, I don't know if I want to pay the cost to then be what? You're entering into the reality you were built for. What, what should that cost? It doesn't matter. The concept of priceless, the concept of you can't put a price on that, that, that is what we're talking about, right? Hmm. What I'm going to do today is I'm going to wrap up the series by bringing in some new parables, but also recapping a few that Bishop Parnell Lovelace covered in week four, but he had to kind of speed through them. We're going to slow down and bring them back out. 
So would you turn with me to Matthew 13, 44? Matthew chapter 13, 44, page 819 in the Bible's under the seat in front of you if you need one. We're going to be reading out of the ESV. That's the English Standard Version. That's our normal version we use here at Bridgeway. But Jesus explained the importance of entering into the kingdom of God with a couple parables and stories, and I want to highlight those real quick for us. Jesus said this, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found, then covered up, and then in his joy goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all he had and bought it. I think we can understand the gist of that. Yeah, I mean, the gist is it's more important than everything else. Each time the story is told, he says, and they got rid of everything they had in order to secure this. That's kind of the heart of it, right? Getting into the kingdom of God. What's the kingdom of God? It's what we've been talking about in this series and throughout this year. Let me remind you, if you're brand new to it, the kingdom of God is anywhere God's influence is. It's anywhere that he is ruling. So the question becomes, are you the kingdom of God? Are you a walking territory of the kingdom of God? In other words, does he have control over your life? Does he have influence over your life? Through a personal relationship, is he engaging with you and you are actively advancing his kingdom? That, those are all the questions that we've been throwing out throughout this series. But I want to remind us that everything comes down to a relationship with our creator, a relationship with our creator. It's all about relationship with Jesus Christ, a real one. I want you to hear me very carefully on this piece. And if you want to write this down, and maybe you want to write this down, it's not one based on knowledge of, but connection with. Say that again. It's not based on knowledge of, but connection with. What do I mean? If you know a lot about Jesus, okay. That's good. If you know a lot of people that are Christians, all right, that's cool. But I'm not talking about a knowledge of, I'm talking about a connection with. And when I talk about that being a connection, I need to kind of expand that a little bit for you because some people would say, well, yeah, yeah, I have a relationship with Jesus Christ in the sense that there was a time when I was in a church service and the pastor was like, uh, do you want to live forever? I was like, yeah, totally. And he was like, well, then you need to walk forward and pray a prayer. And I was like, well, that sounds easy. I'll do that. That's not what I'm talking about, right? Because I'm talking about relationship with, when the Bible talks about relationship, it uses marriage language. What am I saying? Well, you know, we all go to a wedding and you hear this phrase, uh, oh, the two become one flesh, right? This, this idea that there's a fusing, that all of their liabilities are shared, all of their assets are shared, that they are now seen as a single unit. Do you realize that's the same concept used for you and Jesus? All your liabilities get transferred onto his account. That's why he pays for our liabilities. And all of his assets and resources transfer onto our account. The Bible says that we are so unionized with him, so fused together that we are partakers of the divine nature. When it uses the phrase knowing God, it's super deep. 
Now, I don't want to get super creepy here, but the phrase to know in the Bible is the same phrase as, and the man knew his wife and they had a child. If we're going to be talking about, it's not I know about, it's a connection with where there is no more boundary, where there is no more obstacle. There is full fusion connection. When Jesus said in that scary verse of the Bible, many will come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do a bunch of stuff in your name? And he says, what? Depart from me. I never knew you. What do you think that means? I never had a personal connection with you. Yeah, you knew all about me. You were doing all kinds of religious stuff, but you didn't know me. I didn't know you. Of course, I know about you. I built you. But there wasn't a connection with. That's the key. The key to what we're trying to do here. Now, does that entrance into the kingdom, that washing of your soul, that being made alive in eternal life right here, right now, does that sound valuable to you? Well, it doesn't sound valuable to everybody, right? I mean, there's a whole bunch of reasons why if I go out and I do a lot of ministry on media, right? So if the whole nation finds out and they get to hear the gospel through me, not everybody's going to be fired up about that. And so Jesus told a story about that. So would you turn with me to Luke chapter 16? You're going to go to the right in your Bibles, two books. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. If you went to John, you went too far. We're going to stop at Luke. Luke chapter 16, it's page 876, if you want to follow along. Luke 16, 19. I have a bit of morning voice. You notice that? Like, it's super deep. Like, what the heck is going on? Anyway, just wanted to highlight that. In case you all were thinking it. This is actually how I talk all the time. At home, I say, children, come thy to thy dinner table. (laughs) That's not true. Okay, here we go. Here, Jesus tells a story. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. Ew, that is just gross. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes, saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, child, Remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, Lazarus and like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. So the man said, then I beg you, father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers so that he may warn them lest they come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And the man said, no, father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. 
He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. What is the point of the story? Now, it sounds a little bit weird from on surface level that you're going, wait a second. So if I get good stuff here, I get bad stuff there. If I have bad stuff here, I get good stuff. That kind of is a weird, that's not really what the story is about. But I do want to highlight the end of it. The end of it basically says this, do not underestimate the resistance to the truth of God. He said, even if someone rises from the dead, which the irony is Jesus is telling the story and he's about to rise again from the dead and the gospel's gonna go out and people are still gonna go, no thanks, I'm good. How is that a thing? How is it possible that there's the movement of God, there's the mighty miracles of God, there's the conveying of the gospel, the most loving message in the world, and still people are just going, ah, no thanks. How does that happen? Well, it's kind of human nature. And I want to dig into that a little bit. Are these resistant people us? You see, you come into church, which to me is always stunning that you would say, God is so fascinating to me. I want to know more about him. I want to engage with his family. I want to be part of something. I want to, right? So you are the ones that have already bought in. But yet, while you're in here, there is stuff that God's trying to get across to you that you may still be resistant to. You may come to church because you want to be affirmed in your current belief system, and anything that challenges that view, you kind of go, yeah, well, I don't think I agree with pastor on that one. But here, what we're trying to do is lay out the full gospel, and if Jesus is trying to get fresh word to you, are you still sensitive to be able to hear it? I don't know. Resistance is pretty strong in our hearts. So Jesus talked about this whole concept in his longest recorded sermon in the Bible. It's called the Sermon on the Mount, right? I think a lot of us have heard about that. And in there, he starts using some weird concepts. He starts saying stuff like, blessed are you if you have difficulty in this life. Blessed are you if you are needy for spiritual things. Blessed are you if you are persecuted. What is he talking about? Write down this phrase, need as a doorway. Need as a doorway. Because what I want to do is I want to unpack something about resistance and reception. Yep. So let, let's dig into this. Jesus kept using money examples. He said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Why is the rich and poor thing such a big deal in the Bible? Because Jesus tends to use it all the time. Is Jesus really against rich people and super pro-poor people? I don't think that's the point. I don't think whether you're rich or you're poor ultimately is the concern. I don't think that the money in your wallet really has a whole lot of factor deep down, but it will affect you. And that's why Jesus kept talking about it. So what is he really talking about? Okay, see if you can follow me. I'm going to do a couple different analogies, but see if you can follow me here. When we think that this life is all that there is, we judge good and bad, full and empty, on what we know around us. We begin to think that if we have things, we are full. 
and therefore money is good. We think that our, if we think our carts are full, we don't long for more. When we're wealthy and we have access to all the things of this world, we close off our hearts for longing for greater because we look around us, see what's in the world, and we know that we either can get it or we already have it, and we think that's it. But what if it's not? Do you understand why riches affect our spirit? It is not the riches, it's the disrupted thinking. Give you an example. Uh, quick show of hands. How many remember when people used to go around into neighborhoods knocking on doors and selling stuff? Anybody remember those? Come on. All right, good. Now, if you are, I'd say, what, 25 and younger? Never heard of that before, all right? Well, there's a reason you didn't, because it was so irritating. <clears throat> we chased them all out, right? Okay. But back in the day, they would sell all different kinds of stuff and come to your door on a pretty consistent basis. It was a little harder sometimes to get into the stores back in the day, and so they were making it more convenient. So they would knock on your door, and let's say they were going to sell you a vacuum. That was a big thing that was going on for a while. They would sell vacuums, which sounds like the lamest job in the world, selling vacuums. So they knock on your door and they're like, hey, uh, I'm here to sell a vacuum. The first thing that goes through your mind is, do I have a vacuum that works? And if I do, you're probably just going to try to upsell me on a better vacuum. Now, either the vacuum sucks dirt or it doesn't suck dirt. I don't know how, like, are you like sucking up future dirt in a, in a better vacuum? Like, is this a, a time traveling vacuum? Like, what is better about your vacuum? So if you go, I have a vacuum, they're going to say, what? You need our vacuum. And you're going to say, my vacuum's good enough, and shut the door, right? But let's say you don't have a vacuum at all. What's intriguing is the conversation will last a little longer because you don't have anything to compare it to, so you'll let them talk because you're hoping that maybe somewhere in there, the $7,000 vacuum they're trying to sell you <clears throat> will have a scholarship program <laughs> that somehow allows you to have the vacuum at $100 with a set of steak knives, right? <laughs> so you're gonna listen to them kind of walk through this whole process and you give them their time. They even vacuum up a section with, you know, the, oh, here's our new handle that we use and all this stuff. And you let them talk it out because you don't have one. What, what is my point? If we are rich, we shut the door on God because we have all the world has to offer. We assume that God is simply gonna offer a slightly better version of what we already have, but at a higher cost, and we're not interested. If we are poor, and we know that we have nothing, we are willing to believe that anything is worth giving a shot. It's in that conversation that we allow God to continue to talk that we realize this particular offer that he's giving is not actually a thing for sale. You can't get it at any store. That we realize that it not only brings eternal life in the future, but it brings a bunch of things that the rich people have been chasing after the whole entire time, and this one's for free. What is my point? When we are rich, we think we're full and don't need more. 
so we don't see our true spiritual lack. When we are poor, we just think we need everything, so we're open to conversation. That's how money affects us. Uh, I don't know how many of you have heard about, you know, it seems to be more and more these days, or maybe we're just diagnosing it more, but there's an awful lot of dietary challenges that people have. Um, it could be Crohn's disease, it could be colitis, it could be, you know, we have all these different things. And one of the big problems with dietary issues is sometimes you can eat all the food that you want, but the nutrients aren't being absorbed. So you still feel fatigued, you still feel run down, you still feel lacking, but yet you will have all the same stomach fullness, all the same, right, like bloating, but you're going, listen, I'm not getting anything from this. That's what happens when you live a life only thinking this world is it. You're not getting anything deep down. You're not getting anything truly valuable. You're having the feeling of being full, but there's no benefit going into your soul. You following me? When you have nothing in your stomach, you have a hope that maybe something would fill you up. How many times have you been in a meal and ate so much and said, I couldn't eat another bite, right? That idea is that when we get full of things of this world, we think that if God's gonna offer us something, whoa, I couldn't eat another bite, I'm good. Thank you very much. And yet Christians are running around and saying, no, 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 no. There's more important stuff. You haven't even got the nutrients. But they feel full, so they don't want anything more. You see, God is not offering simply a better version of food. He's offering a wholly different concept. And so when we lack and we know we lack, the idea of lacking is pretty clear. Uh, let's keep digging into this. You see, the whole rich poor thing is not really about money. Here's why. Because we can be rich with attention. We can be rich with fame. We can be rich with toys. We can be rich with escapism. We can be rich with talent and abilities. Whatever fills you up and makes you feel full is wealth. Sometimes we're just full of ourselves. And so we don't need more God. Y'all following? All right, four of you are. Turn with me to Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Page 870, we're gonna be in Luke for the rest of our time here. <clears throat> Jesus told this parable, he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. Covetousness is a fancy word for selfishness, greed, wanting what other people have, and just wanting more, all right? Be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, what do I do with all this stuff? I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, aha, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I can store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things that you've prepared, where are they going to go? So the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You see, the problem is not 
wealth, it's the thinking process going along with it. If you keep thinking this life is all there is, you gotta milk it, you gotta store up more stuff and store up more stuff and store up more stuff. And you go, man, I got a whole bunch of stuff, but it's never gonna be enough. What do I do with it? Instead of putting it into kingdom building, we just go, I'm gonna build bigger barns. But then all of a sudden, click, your life is over, and it goes where? It just gets redistributed back into the mix. What have we accomplished? Jesus is calling us to a wisdom to go, you got to think through. What are we doing here? Are we really simply trying to load ourselves up with stuff, feel fake full, and then ultimately die and pass it on to everybody else and leave an example to get fake full? This isn't how we live. If we focus on the eternal and we focus that there's something greater than this, then everything we have begins to take on value and meaning and we put it into play. That's the point. Turn with me to Luke 15. In Luke 15, Jesus tells three stories or parables about lost stuff. And this might apply to some of us here listening to this message, whether it's online or whether or not it's right here in the sanctuary. Three stories about lost stuff, lost sheep, lost coins, lost kids. Now, mostly when you go to church and you hear this passage talked about, we almost always focus on the parable of the prodigal son. That's the one that gets the most press, right? It's the idea that there was two boys and they really wanted their dad's, well, one of them really wanted their dad's inheritance, said, dad, I wish you were dead so I could take my half. The dad cashes him out. He goes into another country, wastes all that he has, is completely destitute and he decides to come home. When he comes home, he has been humbled and he finds out that his dad welcomes him and embraces him and restores him back to full sonship. We love that story. Now understand that is a story of someone that has already experienced the love of the father, has gone away in rebellion and is now returning, yeah? Is it a valuable story? Brilliant. But there's two other stories about lost things that I think we forget. So let me read those with you. Luke 15, 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. Okay, let's pause. Before we get into the parable, who are these two groups of people? They are the ones that don't get along. You got the scribes and Pharisees, which are the religious leaders of the time. They are the self-righteous. They're the super religious. They're smug. They are looking out at this other group of people they call sinners and tax collectors, like it's one big group. And they consider them useless. They consider them kind of a bane on society, that they're not as cool as we are. There's the haves and the have-nots. They're the have-nots. And they get agitated because they go up to Jesus, who's clearly way religiously advanced, and they know that he's legit to some degree. And they're like, why are you wasting your time with this garbage? The tax collectors and sinners are the other group. They're considered the secular group. They're considered the ones that aren't uber religious. They're the ones that they may be nice people. They may be moral people, but... I mean, really, let's be honest, they're not taking it too seriously. They're not hardcore Jews. And if you're a tax collector, man, it's worse. Why? Because you're a Jew who's a traitor. You got an occupation and employment through the Roman Empire to overtax your own people. So you're not only a traitor, but you're a thief. And so you're 
outcast. Y'all following me? So there's these two groups. Because one was saying the other one doesn't matter, Jesus told this parable. Verse four, what man of you, religious people, having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my lost sheep. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Next story, or what woman, having 10 silver coins loses one coin, one-tenth of her entire wealth, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Here's the point of the story. The context of the story is this. Jesus is saying, no, 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 all people matter. You don't get to say those people don't matter. There's no such thing as those people, there's just us, right? And he was saying, listen, you keep saying, oh, it doesn't matter what happens to them, let them go to hell, let them do that. You don't get to call that. For God so loved the world, The entire world, that means every classification of people. That means every group of people. That means even the people you don't happen to care about or you don't happen to like or you don't happen to think is valuable. Yeah, Jesus died that they might be saved as well. And he said, now, I want to tell you how heaven views it because y'all are messed up. Heaven views it that if one of those secular people, one of those people that don't take me seriously, one of those people that don't live for me, if one of them comes to me, all of heaven throws a party. That's how valuable they are to me. Now, that's the context. But I want to pull out an application of it that I think is pretty powerful because it might apply to some of us right? Let's talk about coins. Do you understand that both coins and sheep aren't coming home unless they are found? Well, let's talk about coins for a second. If a coin is lost, how long will it stay lost until it's found? Forever. Coins don't get up and come home their coins. That may be some of you. You know, it's interesting because when you grow up in America, in modern day America, we kind of have this Christian hangover and we have all these Christian things around. You can go in the mall sometimes on a Christmas season and you hear things about the Savior is born in Bethlehem. So we kind of have it kind of all around. But let's imagine that you were born in an entire Muslim country completely surrounded, your entire culture is Muslim. The very idea of Christianity is removed and there's no interest in having it around. Now, what are you gonna do then? You're just a coin, you're just laying there. You got no influence. You're not going to find God. Why? Because he has to come get you. Now, sometimes he's gonna go through his people to go reveal himself. That's why we do missionary work. But I want you to be real clear. 
they're not coming home because they can't. They're just a coin. They have to be found. Now, maybe in America, you were raised in an atheist home, that even though you had access to the idea of Christianity, it would never take because you were told it's bogus. You were told constantly that if you got involved in that garbage, that ignorant stuff, that you now would be disrespected. And so you shoved it away and shoved it away and you are in practicality isolated on an island and you're never coming to Jesus. He has to come get you. Okay, but some of us, it's not merely the idea that we are just lost apart from ourselves. Some of us got lost. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like the sheep, right? The sheep are not the sharpest animal out there, right? Like the little sheep is kind of like, huh, interesting. I think there's grass over there. And so he just kind of wanders over there. And it's the shepherd's job to keep him in. But sometimes the sheep gets away. And when the sheep gets away, he's easily distracted to go into the next area, at some point, he gets so lost, he's not coming home. He doesn't know how to do the whole tracking system. With hooves, it's hard to use the phone. You understand what I'm saying? So he can't really like dial up maps. So he's going to be lost and lost and lost. As a matter of fact, every turn he makes, it's only going to get worse. There are many of us that have lived that life, right? You started out in a Christian home. Maybe you were around that kind of thing, and you're like, you know what? Forget this. And you go off and start doing your own thing. And then you make a turn and then you're like, well, you know what? I'm kind of into that. I'm feeling like a, a gap in my spirituality. I'm going to try the new age thing. Then you try the new age thing and you're like, well, it's not hard hitting enough. So you dabble a little bit in the occult. And then you're like, no, that's garbage. That's super weird. And then you turn and you start morphing and making your own religion. Every turn you make is just getting everything worse. You're not going to unravel it and come back to Jesus because you don't even know what that means anymore. You're not coming home unless he goes and gets you. Praise God that he does that. You see, God finds lost stuff. It's what he's really good at. Okay. So that's why I think that it is absolutely upsetting when the church casts a bunch of judgments and demands on the world and says, I don't understand why you act like that. I don't understand why you're not going to church. I don't understand why you're not into God. I don't understand, right? And we start getting all agitated. They're never going to do that until Jesus rescues them. And we end up cutting them off. Totally unacceptable. That's just not the way of Jesus, right? Okay. But indeed, the Bible says that an offer has been extended out that Jesus Christ would die for your sins. Let's say you're in one of these other scenarios and you hear that. Let's say you're just sitting in church and you've been around this religious stuff a whole bunch, but there is this offer on the table. And it's legitimate. Jesus said, let me be the king of your life. Surrender to me, hand it over to me. I can take care of that and we can walk together and build a new life, right? Let's say that that offer is on the table. How easy is it to enter into the kingdom of God? Well, I don't know. It requires total surrender. So let me ask you this. Is surrender easy or hard? 
depends whether or not you're a control freak. I am. Right? There you go. Yep. Do you understand why if you are fully in control, if you are rich in this world, it's going to be really hard to give up everything. If you are poor in this world and you got nothing going on, it's easy in desperation to hand your life over to Christ. You all tracking now? So how much are you full of? Because if you're full of a whole bunch, we might not even bother having this conversation. You see, Jesus was really into this because he ended up hanging out with tax collectors and sinners, and he happened to walk by one by the name of Levi. He walks by Levi, and he's like, hey, dude, I want you to be in my ministry. Levi leaves everything, his whole tax booth and everything, ends up throwing a huge party and has all of his buddies there, and Jesus is hanging out with them. Well, once again, the religious people get mad about that, and he says, you don't understand. it's, it's not the healthy people that need a doctor, it's the sick people that need a doctor. They know they're sick, they need me. I didn't come to call the righteous, but call the sinners. In other words, if you think that you're all good, I'm not your savior. You think you're messed up, I'm your man. You know what, these people right here aren't so full of religion, they're willing to listen to me. So I'm their savior. You, you have your whole religious system baked in, You're not interested in me at all. I actually cause you problems. To them, I'm their savior. So guess who I'm gonna hang out with? Them. Luke 14, 27, Jesus said, whoever does not bear his own cross and come to me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all those who see it began to mock him, saying, this man began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not first sit down and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. What does it cost? Everything. And if you got a whole bunch of stuff, that's a problem. If you have nothing, it's the easiest solution in the world. Can I have the prayer team come on up here? I'm also going to invite out my friend Harumi. She's gonna come out and play some, uh, some music for us. Because what I wanna do is I wanna spend the rest of our time on two things. It's really just a ministry time. And what we're going to do is that I'm going to be talking through with you, and obviously the music is merely to minimize distraction, allow you to just kinda of chill out and get in the groove. Because there might be some of us who have yet to start a relationship with Jesus Christ. There might be some of us, whether listening to this on podcasts, watching it live, being right here in the sanctuary, there might be some of us who after I have laid it out and talked about what knowing God really means, not knowledge of, but connection with, after I lay that out, there may be a number of us in this room that are saying, I have yet to enter into that relationship with Jesus Christ. That's gotta be it. I mean, we gotta do that. So I'm gonna be praying with you, for you, and leading you through that process, which then you can always come up 
to our altar here with our prayer team at the end or even during the music and learn more. The rest of us, there's some of us that are in this room and we know about God, we have a connection with God, it's just not super fiery right now. We're gonna pray about that. There's some of us that are out there killing it for the Lord, doing our best, and we're just discouraged and we're saying, Lord, I know there's more, I know there's more, I know there's more. Man, I got a whole prophetic word to pray over you. You see, I have connection here with folks in this congregation that, are, that operate in the prophetic. They're wise enough and mature enough that they sift and sort what is just them thinking that and what is God and they're discerning God's voice. And so periodically they'll receive a word from the Lord and they'll hand it over in a very humble fashion and say, Pastor, would you consider this? I believe this might be from the Lord. Would you pray through it? Well, one of them came through recently and I said, yep, that's legit. I'm actually going to pray that, that prayer. I'm gonna share the word and then there's a bunch of things that the Lord kind of revealed. Hey, pray this over your congregation. Pray this over my people. So I'm gonna do that too. Y'all ready for this? All right, praise God. Let's go ahead and get into that, that mindset. Once again, if you, while I'm praying and talking, man, if you connect in with Jesus, just block me out. He's the one we're trying to focus on, right? So if you get your own groove going with him, woo, you just hang out with him. But let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come in this time where you have distributed this message of love, reconciliation, and rescue. Right here in this place, Lord, there's some of us that we are moved by your love. We are moved by your desire to find us, to chase us down, to rescue us, to heal us, to make us new, that you are offering and what you're offering is something that resonates in our spirit. And as a matter of fact, it's almost overwhelming our desire to respond to you. God, I pray right now for those hearts. All my friends that can hear me and see me and engage with me. God, I'm praying right now that you would rescue us. That Lord Jesus, Perhaps for the first time in our entire lives, we're starting to hear this idea that you don't just wanna know about us, you wanna be personally engaged and we wanna say, yes, God. We understand what that costs. It, it costs us everything. We're willing to give up whatever it takes. It's the most important thing. So God, you take whatever you want. You take over the agenda. You take over our priority list. You can have our home, you can have our families, you can have our jobs, you can have our fame, you can have our friends, you can have all of our hopes and dreams. We just want you. Forgive us, God, for what we have made it. Sometimes, Lord, we didn't even know any better. We just kept turning and turning and turning and all of a sudden now we're just lost. But God, you know how to rescue. Your word says, that to all those who long for you, you would give the right to become sons and daughters of God. That we would be born again, that our eternal life would light up within us. And that if we seek you with all that we have, we will find you and that our hearts would be lit aflame. So God, I pray right now, even as this altar is open, even as this prayer team is standing here desperate, to pray with someone and talk with someone. I just pray, Lord, please don't 
let pride or fear hinder us. That Lord, if you are saying, you know what? My son, my daughter, I'm rescuing you right now. And I want you to know what that means. The altar is open. To those of us here, God, where we, we know you, we've been walking with you for quite some time, but Lord, it seems like our fire has gone real low. As a matter of fact, it's kind of hard to tell if the burner's still on. But Lord, we want that to be stoked up. We want that to be turned from a one to a 10. And we need that fire in our spirit. We need to fall in love with you again. We need that, that romance connection of that excitement. I'm not talking about infatuation. I'm talking about real, deep, powerful, transformative love. So God, I am just praying over my family here. Lord, would you rescue us from ourselves once again? Get us right back on that straight and narrow. Begin to make the pathway straight. And God, there are some of us that are so into you, but we know that there's more. We know, Lord, that we are given it all we have, but we need you, Holy Spirit, to take us to that next level. We need you to lift us up and lift our mindsets up. We're thinking too small. We're thinking too temporal. We're getting distracted too easy. The world has way too much attention for us. So God, for those I read this word, I believe that you gave to our congregation. I read these words, this prayer that we believe that you have given to Bridgeway that is for us. How much longer, Bridgeway, will we settle for milk and sweets for the stories of another? Rise up, O giants of the Lord. Do you not see who I've created you to be? It is time for you to grow up and walk in the sonship I have designed for you. Rise up, my mighty warriors. Rise up, my courageous ones. I have called you into holiness and righteousness. Throw off your old mindsets. Dare to believe that you have been created to destroy the works of the devil and bring forth healing and freedom. It is time to rise up. No more living off the testimony of another. Take the land. Take dominion. Believe that you are who I say you are. Praise you, Lord. And now I pray these prayers as led by you, Holy Spirit, over our congregation, to all those who call this place home, to all those that are your children. May you give us the eyes and the courage of Joshua and Caleb, who when they spied out the land, everyone else saw problems and impossibility, but they saw victory. Lord, as we go out into this world, that we would not be overwhelmed by that which stands against us, but we would be absolutely fired up by that which stands with us. So God, I pray that we might be able to look out and say, we can do it, we can take it. And that God, wherever fear comes in, our courageousness goes over it and we continue to press into the things that you have for us. That God, we would not settle for less Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, I pray over our congregation and your children. I pray over a heart of worship, a heart of worship like David, that we're even willing to look stupid for you, that we are willing to be worshiping 24 hours a day. We don't need music. That God, you're in our thoughts all the time. We're constantly thinking about how much you matter to us. That worship, 
that it consumes our lives. It's in us at work. It's in us at home. It's in us with our friends. We're always thinking about you. God, I pray in the name of Jesus, the wisdom of Solomon to fall upon this congregation, that we would know how to connect the dots. You're doing all this stuff around us, and we need to be able to track on it. So, Father, you said, if any needs wisdom, just ask me, and I'll give it to you. So we're asking right now, God, descend wisdom upon your people. God, we pray in the name of Jesus that we would have the knowledge of the sons of Issachar, which means, Lord, they were the ones that knew what to do at the right time. God, we need discernment that God, timing matters. We don't want to be jumping out too fast. We don't want to be waiting on too long. We want to move when you say move. We want to be so sensitive to you, Holy Spirit, that when you say turn left, we go left. When you say turn right, we go right. In the name of Jesus, I pray the power of the Holy Spirit on this congregation. That, Lord, that we would begin to move in the powerful gifts that you have given us, that we would move in healing, that we would move in the prophetic, that we would move in administration, that we would move in leadership, that all those beautiful things you built into us, God would come alive in our congregation, that we would use it not just here, but everywhere we go, because that's what you built us for. Holy Spirit, would you fall afresh upon us? and anoint us for greater ministry. And finally, in the name of Jesus, I pray the boldness of Paul over our congregation that we would not be timid, that we would not hold back, that we would never be rude, that we would never be pushy, but that we would be a force to be reckoned with. That God, that we would go out and we would be able to stand when truth needs to be said, that we know how to shut our mouths when we need to shut our mouths. God, I pray that we are not afraid because we're people pleasers, but we are God pleasers. Lord Jesus, this congregation, you have burned a love for them my whole, what, 22 years now? God, they're they're along with my family are kind of my everything. So I just pray, Lord, that you would put us at maximum that you would begin to encourage us and fuse into us passion, joy, love, excitement, strength. God, if there are needs in this place, I pray that you would meet them this morning. Would you anoint this altar that for all that would come forward would receive that which is aligned with your will. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.